shows are ever going to go away. I mean, I think we'll be back at it. Still the best way to present your collection. You know, there's nothing better than seeing something in person and seeing the way it moves on a model and the real color and all of those things. But I think moving forward, we're always going to have some sort of hybrid between digital and in-person, if only for sustainability and global warming. And I don't think we're going to be jet-setting around as much and flying off to Paris and Milan and all of that. Hello and welcome back to A Fashion Moment. Christina Nolt is one of the most powerful people in fashion show production. Her tireless hours behind the scenes are the driving force behind many of your favorite New York runway moments and fashion shows. From orchestrating the Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week calendars to running the fashion programming at Pier 59. Christina is an industry mainstay and one of the most brilliant people you'll ever meet. She's one of the first people in the industry to take a chance on this black girl from Colton, California. She trained me and gave me the foundational tools that I needed to succeed in the business. She's one of my favorite bosses of all time, and I'm so glad that you get to hear our conversation about her journey. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am thrilled to have you. I mean, clearly you're one of the smartest and like hardest working people in fashion. Probably one of the biggest known unknowns for folks who don't work in the industry. So just to get a sense of how in the world did you end up in fashion? Like, where are you from? Did you go to school for this? Like, how did this happen? <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Kirsten. Um, how did I end up in fashion? Well, I kind of always knew I wanted to be in fashion, even in like, you know, junior high and high school, you know, it started with Barbie and Bob, Bob Mackey. And um you know, I always wanted to go to fashion school. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. Uh, I started in, you know, at Johnson and Wales in Rhode Island in retail management for the first year of college. Then I worked retail and then I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't want to do that. So I transferred to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. Wow. And I was a production management major with a minor in textiles because at the time I thought I wanted to do actual physical construction of clothes and work in a factory and all of that good stuff. And when, um, which I was excited, you know, my dream was to work at Brooks Brothers and the whole nine yards. I loved the construction of clothing. But when I graduated from college, everything went overseas. Wow. Wow. So I ended doing some quality control for, believe it or not, the limited Back when, oh my God. Stirrup, back when stirrup pants were the big thing. <laughs> and um, that was brutally boring. Wow. So I started uh, working for a company called the Men's Fashion Association, really just part-time uh, Xeroxing clippings for their PR department. Wow. And they wow. used to 
they used to do like these two mini fashion weeks, men fashion week. And um, I started helping them with the fashion shows and one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden I was full time. Wow. Wow. And you just essentially jump right in. Like, did you expand into any other entertainment sectors or was it strictly fashion? Well, it was strictly fashion. We used to do a series of fashion shows and events twice a year, one in LA, one in New York. Mm -hmm. That was on the retail cycle. So we would do the shows as they were going into the stores. So April and October. And um, we would do, you know, we, we also did the American image awards and a few award ceremonies and, it was really hosting this group of people over a three-day period of time. So it was everything from catering to, you know, maybe 10 to 15 fashion shows in that three days. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you are just so well-versed and and sort of executing multiple events at one time, and you make it look very easy. (laughs) So what would you say is one of the most challenging things about planning multi multi-level events in that nature just like a million events a day how do you do it you got to have a good team that knows what they're doing that cares about what they're doing and that you don't have to worry of whether it's getting done i kind of thrive on doing multiple things at once you know my mother always said if you want to if you want to get something done ask a busy person <laughs> And and it's like, it could never be truer. I am so much more efficient when I'm busy. Yeah. Because you don't have time to think about it. You just say yes, no, black, white. There's no gray. You just get it done. I love it. I'm the same way. That's why it was so great working with you. I'm curious, how did you end up at IMG? Oh, I was freelancing after my MFA years. They were in Bryant Park at the time. This was in the late 90s, early 2000s. I was a venue manager. So basically, I ran one of their four venues. So all and all the shows that happened within that space, which was about 20 shows over the week. So I oversaw the lighting, staging and sound and the individual designers and their productions within that space. I did that for several seasons. And then IMG bought it from the CFDA in 2001. Their first season was 9-11. And um, wow. then they started expanding. IMG owned, now owned New York Fashion Week and IMG Models. And we had put out a bid to do the NFL opening in Times Square. Wow. And they wanted to do a big fashion show. So they hired me to do a big fashion show. We got all the designers to redesign football jerseys. (gasps) And we had celebrities. We had like a cheerleader from every cheerleader from every single team and all these ex football players and famous people. And oh my God. Everything. And you know, it was like this crazy closed down Times Square thing. Oh my goodness. And, you know, I thought I was doing a regular show with 22 months. <laughs> and it was like, all of a sudden I'm in the middle of Times Square with 110 people in a show. And then um, it was a huge success. So they brought me on board the following spring to help start LA Fashion Week and Miami Swim. Love it. Love it. 
That is Times Square. Like, how long? Like, what is involved with shutting down Times Square for a show? Like, how long did that take you? That just sounds like a logistical nightmare. (laughs) Fortunately, I didn't have to do that. But I only did the fashion show part, which was enough logistics for me. Oh, my God. The NFL sponsor, you know, the NFL um, special events took care of all that. My my duty was the runway and the 110 looks and all wow. the out. But, you know, it was, a, you know, it was right. A, it was the, right after 9-11, you know, yeah. the year after it was New York City's big comeback. So there was a lot of security and we had to, you know, do hair and makeup and dressers and all that, like, you know, two blocks away Yeah. then wrangle everyone. So, you know, we had to have lots of people to that were in charge of, okay, you're in charge of those 10 people. Make sure they make it to the stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was kind of, it's like wrangling cats or, you know, it's like, it was more, it was like toddlers, you know, you when you walk, see them walking down the street and they're all attached to each other, that's kind of what you want to do. Yeah, that's how I feel about celebrity wrangling. It's like wrangling toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was exactly, and there was a lot of celebrities in the show, so. Oh, wow, that's wild. That's wild. And then, you know, one thing I thought was really cool just working with you at IMG as well was just seeing how, you know, the designer was having a hard time securing funding for shows like you would help with partnerships, which I thought was really cool. Um, How important do you think are partnerships for brands just in terms of, you know, you know, whether it's a show or just PR, like how important are brand partnerships for fashion? I think it was a little bit more taboo back then um, Mm -hmm. doing these partnerships and then it be, it's become a lot more acceptable because it's very expensive to do a show. But I, I've always been a true believer that it's got to make sense. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, sometimes those partnerships are behind the scenes. Sometimes, you know, I remember doing a partnership with Betsy Johnson and Sharpie. There's no one, there's no one else that really, like, you can't do a, a partnership with a Carolina Herrera and Sharpie. It doesn't make no. sense. <laughs> hey, no. Betsy Johnson is fun and she's known for her illustrations and her color and all that. So it makes sense. So it's, it's a matter of bringing those partnerships together. And, you know, when you work with, with a company like IMG, you have to work on both sides of the table. And I was the designer relations person and executive producer, but I also had to make sure our sponsors were taken care of and that it made sense, the things that they were doing. So absolutely, it became more and more, you know, there's different brands, you know, everyone wants to be affiliated with a Mercedes-Benz or an American Express, but then there's yeah. other kind of wilder partnerships that you have to be creative with and... And now, the, you know, when the economy is bad and, and, you know, you still have to present a collection, you still have to produce a collection. These additional funding funds are super important. Absolutely. And you mentioned costs. You know, what is the range, you know, for, for the designers who are listening and are considering maybe, you know, doing a presentation or a show, what's sort of the range for a good, decent show? everyone always asks that and it's um you know it's it's a you really can't say it right so many things that are dependent on that 
what quality of lighting, quality of space, um, how many friends you have in the industry that'll work for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the quality of the stylist and the dressers and the pressers and the, you know, I, there's no, you know, I would say that your average, not average, but a starter is probably a hundred thousand. For sure. And is it worth it? Would you say it's worth it? You're like, of course it is. I work, <laughs> I work on this side, but no, what is the value? That's not true. I have <laughs> I've turned many designers down from doing shows because I don't feel ready for it. Yeah. And I don't think you should start doing a show until you can sustain it. If you're going to start doing shows, you got to be able to do it twice a year. And that's an even bigger commitment. So is there value in it? Of course there is. Once you get to a certain level, it's your marketing, it's your content, it's your social media content it's your store video. It's all of those things that last you six months. And if you do it right, you can use it for your e-commerce and all of it. So um, if it's done properly and you congregate, if that's the right word, the right yeah. content, yeah, you're covering a lot of bases. Amazing. That's extremely helpful actually very helpful because people just want to jump in. So how did you make the transition uh, from IMG to the peers, peer 59? What is your, actually, what is your current role now? Just in general, because you're doing so much. You're like doing global projects. You're doing projects in New York. Like what, like, what are you working on now? Like, what is your title? Well, I, um, <laughs> you know, I do a little bit of consulting in different areas. Pier 59, I don't work at Pier 59 full-time right. consulting deal. So I do the fashion programming there, which is um, mainly fashion week and um, any, any special events that they need help in just because I'm versed on permitting and all of that good stuff. I also produce individual shows. I was, you know, the fashion director at Gen Art when that was around. So mainly, mainly shows, events, and then peer. Love. And they're always phenomenal, phenomenal shows. And you're just so well-versed in, in production. And I'm sure you can do like a show with your eyes closed in your sleep. <laughs> but I'm curious, is there a show that like, what was your favorite show of all time? Like, do you have one? Like one that really moved you, like you watched it and you were just like, wow, like that was amazing. Bill Blast's last show. <gasps> Describe. You were there. Oh my God, that's amazing. What'd you love about it? It was his last, it was, I was still a venue manager and I think it was still CFDA. It was Bryant Park and it was right, we had, a, it was in the middle of a hurricane. Wow. And I was the venue manager down at the Puck Build, not Puck Building, not the Puck Building, the Altman Building. Uh-huh. And we closed up shop and I went back to Bryant Park and um, the department, like the buildings department was there, the fire department, everyone was there Wow! because of the hurricane and um, whether we should shut down. But everyone was in the space already 
ready to wow. watch the show. And so we decided to go on with the show because it was only 12 minutes or whatever. And it was just like, it was pouring outside. <laughs> it was, it was Bill's last show. So it was very, you know, like emotional anyway. <sighs> and the music was like, you know, Beethoven and crescendos. And it was just, it was super, super crazy. And it was wow. very, it, it was just very, emo- like, um, you know, emotional. It was, yeah. it was Bill Blast's last show for God's sake. That's crazy. I'm going to have to look for a video of that show. Yeah. It sounds phenomenal. Yeah, I don't, it must've been 99 or 2000. I, I'm not quite sure. It was a September show. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I am definitely, I'll put that in the show notes, y'all. Yeah. Um, that is amazing. I'm, you know, going back a bit, one of the things that I thought was so fascinating about your job at IMG was that big whiteboard in your office? Yeah. <laughs> Do you miss it? <laughs> Not at all. With all the scheduling, I mean, Christina would literally do the scheduling for New York Fashion Week, like right there in her office. All the colors, all of the different um, markers that you had, like you had a system. What was your system again? Oh my God, what was my system? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> it was amazing the way you did that. I mean, it was just so organized, color-coded. I mean, it was just phenomenal to watch every season. <laughs> oh, my God. So it was just a big calendar of the eight days, seven days of Fashion Week. And every designer and every vo- every venue had a colored post-it. And you used to do it with me. So you know yep. <laughs> Every, every post, every color, every venue had a color and you would put the names on with their first, second, and third choices. And it was just a domino of that. It would just move it around the board, um, for time slots. And you were grandfathered into your time slot from the season before, which only worked for about 10 people and the other 70 were just a crapshoot. And then we used to write down um, with dry erase marker what was happening off site. Yes. So that we could tell you, you obviously didn't want to pin two designers or what, against each other that were the same market because we can't, you know, we, we, no, we don't want to hurt anyone. So we don't want to see the audience, whether it's buyers or press or whatever. So, yeah, no, it was very special. <laughs> and I used to take pictures of it every night because I always had, I used to have reoccurring dreams that the cleaning woman would come in and decide that she wanted to clean the board off. Oh my, can you imagine? Um, no, no. <laughs> that would be insane. No, 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 no. I, I knew I was like, okay, maybe I'm getting somewhere in fashion. When I got, uh, I think it was Kelly Catrone cursed me out because of a time slot. And I was like, oh my God, I've made it. I made it. <laughs> like I'm getting cussed out about a time slot. Like people get very passionate about their times and like when they're showing. So it's really, really interesting. And I remember Ruth fin- Finley walking in, meeting with you in your office, which was really cool. Do you have any cool memories about Ruth? Oh, Ruth. Well, the council <laughs> hasn't been the same since she uh, passed on. Yeah. 
Um, She was, you know, Ruth was amazing. She died at 96. She did it until she was probably 90. I don't even know. And she was very passionate about it. Um, She never was jaded. She cared about every single designer, young or old. Mm -hmm. And that was impressive because it's easy to get jaded in this industry. And she just had a real passion and like caring about, especially the young kids. But um, yeah, she's, there's a documentary coming out this year about her life. And, you know, she was one of the pioneers and, in, um, in, you know, of women, really. She was, you know, she started that. I don't even remember how old that for the fashion calendar was. Maybe like 1945 or 1947, was, something like that. And she was a single mother of three boys. In the what? 40s and 50s, yeah. What? Yeah, her husband died when he was like 38 or something. Oh my God, I had no idea. Wow. So she was a single mother back then, which, you know, yeah, unheard of. Wow. Wow. And she, I mean, her suit game, I mean, she was just always dressed to the nines when she would come in. I'm like, uh huh, with the little brooches and like, yes. <laughs> you know? I was like, oh, I want to tap into my inner roots someday. I loved every, every, every look. She was, and, you know, and even after she sold the fashion calendar to the CFDA, um, we, I would go up to the Upper East Side and have lunch with her eh, once every six months or so. We'd go to the same Italian restaurant and she would get the same exact thing every time. Um, cheese ravioli. Really? You know, I love it. Carbs. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. In her nineties. What she, a legend. She was a legend. So for those starting out during a time like this, what advice would you give them? for designers who are interested in, in showing or, you know, figuring out some form of some way to show their work during this crazy pandemic? Well, I mean, right now, it, it, digital. Digital is the way to go. Yeah. Every, everyone's going digital for Fashion Week. It, it's, um, it, it's, honestly a little tone deaf to do it any other way yeah so be as creative you can with with a camera and present online I don't think fashion shows are ever going to go away I mean I think we'll be back at it still the best way to present your collection you know there's nothing better than seeing something in person and seeing the way it moves on a model and the real color and all of those things But I think moving forward, we're always going to have some sort of hybrid between digital and in-person, if only for sustainability and global warming. And I don't think we're going to be jet-setting around as much and flying off to Paris and Milan and all of that. So I think most shows will probably be a little smaller and we'll be feeding those shows out digitally. Wow. Wow. So you mean fashion week isn't over, Christina? <laughs> because like so many people panicking. Fashion week's over. New York is over. Everything's over. And I'm like, oh, is it though? 
I, I and, think uh, these I think these the same people that the you know the sky is falling. It, it's just you know if, if if you're gonna be doom and gloom, you're gonna get doom and gloom. Agreed. You have to be the solution, not the problem. Love that. You know, Love I mean, that. it's it's time to pivot. This was all things that were happening pre-COVID. It just accelerated it. Yeah, we were having issues with sustainability and um, the fact that there's less newspapers now and there's less writers now and there's less retailers now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what is next? I mean, is next just having e-commerce on your website? For a lot of people, it might be. Yeah. No. (laughs) You know, I don't think stores are ever going to go away, especially luxury. But, um, you know, it's just, we have to be a little bit, is, is, are we going to, you know, do we want to be a little bit more thoughtful in disposable fashion? Um, Should you be buying one pair of great black pants instead of, five cheap pants from H&M and Zara, maybe, because Uh are we going to be working five days a week anymore? Who knows? A lot of us won't be. So do you need to have as many clothes as you do? Wow. So there, you know, there's different ways of kind of looking at it. Wouldn't you rather have one really great suit that you're going to have for 10 years than having a one season thing? Yeah. So you know, I think it really depends. And I think should be thinking more organic cotton and, and not, you know, the, the dyes and the disposable and the luxury goods that aren't sold, they destroy because they don't want to have anyone buying them cheap. And the whole thing is silly. These are things that need to be um, kind of ramped up and looked at and taken back a little bit. Absolutely. Sustainability is so important. And, you know, unfortunately, the fashion industry is one of the biggest offenders of of waste uh, on the planet. So it's definitely something we need to look into and, and deal with. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have, from your point of view, of the industry? I don't think they realize how big the industry is and how many people it employs. From, you know, the cotton growers, the salespeople, the retail people, the sewers, the weavers, the dyers, the, you know, I don't think they realize, I I don't know if it's true or not, but it used, it was for many, many years, it was the second largest industry in New York after finance. Wow. I don't think people realize how big the industry is in the U.S. and the world. And the other thing is, you know, fashion shows, all you, you know, people just think they're, they're a joke that aren't in the end. Oh, you just put a girl in a, a dress and throw her down the runway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, someone had to buy, build a runway and put up the lights and hire the model and hair and makeup. And- that is so wild. Remember when I was dating a Doogie Hauser and he, I brought him to one of the shows. 
And he was, he was like, dating Dukia Hauser, but that's what we called him. <laughs> that's what we called him. <laughs> um, and he was just like, oh my goodness, everybody waits for this, like just a few minutes of a show. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And it was phenomenal. Like, what are you talking about? So a lot of people really don't get it unless, you know, they're in it and in the industry or have a purpose. They don't have to get it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, I don't, I don't have to get monster truck rallies, you know, know, but that's the thing good on you. Well, you know, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about you and what you do? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you should tell me that. Uh, you would know that. I would thing. say, I mean, again, like uh, I was actually uh, chatting with Brienne about this. We still keep in touch. And we were just talking about just how people don't realize just how smart people who work in the industry are, <laughs> how smart they are, solution oriented, really like, you know, jacks and jills of all trades, getting things done. Um, even till this day, if I see someone has worked in fashion, I'm like, oh, great intern, like they'll get it done. You know, (laughs) it's just like, you're so smart and brilliant. And at the end of the day, it's just like, we're all people, you know, we're just, we're, we're people, you know, not everybody's like over the top looking down, you know, Devil Wears Prada, all these like shows and movies that come out and sort of, you know, focus in on maybe like one segment of the fashion population, but that's not really reflective. Well, everyone, everyone thinks uh, everyone has the misconception that if you work in fashion, you're either working in retail or you're designer. Uh Even my family has no idea what I do. (laughs) 30 years into it. And, um, but they have, they have, there, there's this misconception that those are the two categories and there's nothing in between. Yeah. You know, it's a business, it's running businesses, it's business managers, it's accountants, it's, it's trend forecasters and all of the, the things that you can, you know, do within an industry, whether, you know, now sales, there's so much more to it than designing a garment and then selling it in retail. There's a whole nother there's a thousand jobs in between those two things. And um, that's a misconception. It was a misconception I had when I went to fashion school and which is why I was a retail management major for my first year. And then I kind of learned, but it, you know, I mean, it, it, it's what I think I told you I'm the vice president at the high school of fashion industries, their advisory board. And, you know, it's the one thing that we try and teach the students there is there's so many things you can do in fashion who in, 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 in college, when I was 20, I would have never thought in a million years that there was a job producing fashion shows. Like it would would have never occurred to me. Nope. (laughs) So, you know, that as the advisory board, which is, you know, the professional group that advises the, the students and the faculty for that matter we're trying to expand those horizons and, you know, um, expose everyone to the different areas of fashion. Wow. I love it. They have the perfect person. 
Absolutely. Oh, like Twelve of us, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're on it. Um, what is going on with swimwear? I, I just I have to talk about swim. Like, what is going on with swim? Um, I remember um, doing uh, Mercedes Benz Fashion Week swim back in the day. And it's so funny. My dad still has his t-shirt. It's, it looks like it's brand spanking new. Like he like reveres it so much. And he says, hello, by the way, Um, (laughs) but it's really great that you keep, keep the swimwear going. Like how important is swimwear to the industry? And what are you currently doing um, to help uh, keep it going? Well, I mean, it was the hardest event we ever did, but it was the most rewarding because we were such a small staff. And there's nothing worse than Miami in July. <laughs> um, swim seems to be one of those sustainable things that even in a recession or when that people still buy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember we started that event Oh, when we were going through that event originally, which was like 2008, which was the recession. Yeah. The swimwear market was up 12% because people would go out and buy a $200 bathing suit, but they wouldn't go out and buy a $3,000 dress because it was toned up. And I think it'll probably get through this recession as well. Now, I relaunched it because IMG stopped doing it Um in 2014, which was the 10 year anniversary. Wow. And then um, I relaunched a smaller version with the Swimwear Association of Florida last year, which was a smaller version. And we only did like six shows, but it was fairly, it was successful and fun and all those things. But it, obviously, we didn't do it this year because of COVID. Yeah. Ugh, COVID. And you also mentioned something really cool um, from our previous conversation about CurvyCon. Like, I want to go. Like, what, what, if you could just tell the listeners what it is and, you know, when does it typically occur? I already called my cousin. Like, we are, we are making plans. As soon as this, (laughs) this pandemic is over, we are there. No, we, we're following each other on Instagram. Um, so CurvyCon is something I started that I didn't start, but Cece and Chastity, they're both pretty famous, um, plus size bloggers started, I think five or six years ago. It's basically, I don't want to say a sample sale, but it is an event that they do over two days and you can buy packages, VIP packages and different things. They have DJs. It's lots of fun. You go in, uh, they have booths um, where you basically can buy retail and it's only plus size vendors and designers. Wow. And um, it's grown and grown every single year. I started uh, working with them three or four years ago with um, Dia and co who is, was at their time. I'm not sure net anymore. Their presenting sponsor. And I don't know if you, do you know what Dia and co is? No. So Dia and co is one of those box um, 
Uh, oh, subscriptions? Subscriptions. So yeah. you, you have a personal stylist. So you do deal with a real person. You send them their measurements. You're, you're like, oh, I like stripes, but I don't like flowers and things like that. Cool. <laughs> so you have a personal stylist. They send you five pieces a month. You keep them. You don't keep them. It doesn't matter. You try them on, send them back and all that. You can, yeah. they, they have, um, you can watch it on, they do have a YouTube and a, on Facebook. You can watch them, which is pretty cool. Yes. So I did a show with them. They were doing some de- designer co- collaborations. And uh, then this, the second season, we did a couple more shows. And then last year we did three shows. And then again, we have, we're in COVID. So we're not, <laughs> we're not doing hiring. Not. Like, it should have been next week. <laughs> oh no. It looks so amazing. I just, I'm like, I really, really just the way you were describing it. I'm like, okay. Yeah. We and we, we started the first season, um, you know, to kind of be the first fashion show plus size fashion show. Uh, during fashion week, you know, it was wow. before 11 honoring Chromat and all those people were doing shows. So, uh, you know, it, it was fun and it's, it, it, it's a fun event. It's, there is a press component to it, mm-hmm. but it's mainly, con- mainly consumers. So fun. That sounds amazing. Can't wait. We're definitely going next year. Um, <laughs> My last question, unfortunately, our time is coming to an end, which I'm really sad about, but what would you say is your favorite fashion moment of all time? It can be um, a personal moment. It could be industry related. Totally up to you. Oh, my God. Um. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that be the Bill Blast moment? Is that more of the same question? Um, no, that's the show. But, like, you know, was there a moment, like, maybe growing up, like, you know, when you were, like, you know, this blue dress that you loved or, you know, like, or, you know, it could be anything. You know, when I, I, I still think about this, it's so funny, and this is such a silly story. <laughs> they, you know, we think about fashion and I remember my mother used to laugh at me and I'm talking about like when I was four years old, I had this white eyelet dress and red, um, Mary James. And I used to wear it all the time. And I had a white ro- little rocking chair with red and white stripes on it. And I used to love to sit in that chair cause I matched it. And, um, <laughs> And my Raggedy Ann doll did too. Yes. I love it. I love it. And she had read Mary Jane's too. So it all kind of worked together. And it I worked sh- together. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Christina. You're amazing. We truly appreciate having you on the show. And we just look forward to watching what's next and seeing what you're up to. Well, it's, it, it's going to be a, a big change going forward, but it's, yeah. it, it's all positive. It'll be positive. It's going to be good. It's gonna and be if good. you're not positive, just move over. <laughs> I love it. I need that on a t-shirt. Exactly. <laughs> I should wear that uh, at the next fashion week with like a skirt or something. Here you go. <laughs> 
Thank you, Christina. I appreciate it. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you as well. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Now it's time for my favorite segment where we get to hear from you, our listeners, about your favorite fashion moments. Hi, a fashion moment podcast. Hi, Kirsten. Uh, my name's Elizabeth. I'm in Washington, D.C. And my favorite fashion moment was the 2018 Met Gala, Heavenly Bodies, Fashion in the Catholic Imagination. I love that it was a little bit controversial in the sense that people were like, oh, we shouldn't be turning religion into pageantry, but I think that religion and religious garb has always had a sense of pageantry, and no one represented that better than Rihanna in her Pope outfit. I think that also by opening that theme up beyond just religious garb, but to the concept of heavenly bodies also was a really interesting opportunity for stylists and the party attendees to take a spin on what they imagined to be heavenly. You know, we saw people evoke saints and truly religious iconography, thinking of um, Madonna, but then we also saw like Mindy Kaling in a beautiful crown and a blue dress. You know, she looked regal. So I think that it was open to interpretation in a way that allowed for people to really show what they saw as being beyond the ordinary, extraordinary, heavenly. And I think that that playfulness and that also taking something so serious and making it fun and making it beautiful really to me is at what the core of the purpose of fashion, which is to express and relate and elevate. Love the podcast. Huge fan. Thank you so much. Hi there, I'm Becca from the San Francisco Bay Area, and my favorite fashion moment, COVID-19 edition, would be during the pandemic and throughout most of 2020. I've always been a huge fashion lover, but I like to find ways to kind of re-accessorize old outfits or bring old looks back to life instead of always you know, consuming new things. So I actually learned how to crochet my own scarves in the wintertime. So it was a super easy and fun and affordable way to not only learn a new skill, but also to revamp some old winter sweaters and stuff with a pop of color and, you know, take an old gray sweater and I would crochet like a lavender scarf and wear that with it and not only helped keep my creative side alive but also teach me a new skill and teach me that I can basically do anything I set my mind to. So what I love about fashion is it allows you to change your expression as different times call for different ways of adapting and that is my fashion moment. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of A Fashion Moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. 
We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.